0: Alright ladies and gentlemen, I know it's not Wednesday, I know it's Thursday, but hey, I'll give you your podcast fix. Here it is right now, Offside Hockey Talk, fresh and hot out the oven. Sitting shotgun with me as always is Kyle Outridge. Kyle, how's the day treating you today?
1: Well sir, it's, uh, it's a little great here, but uh, not a bad day. It's always a good day to talk hockey and chat with you. How you doing sir?
0: You know what, bouncing back from that migraine yesterday, it's uh, a fuzzy duck feeling man. I can't remember much of yesterday and obviously... Today I sound like I got a mouthful of marble, so we'll fumble through this and have a little fun with it.
1: Sorry, buddy you cut kind out of there. Say that
0: again. I said we'll fumble through it and have a little fun with it.
1: Well fumble we will, sir. Apparently, <laughs> uh lost lost connection there for a second but uh yeah let's get to it
0: <laughs> well as always we're proudly brought to you by muskoka spray foam insulation need your home spray foamed check out Drew and the crew at msfi.ca today and of course highland custom builders your vision built custom Kyle rumblings around Leafland and everybody's getting excited because of a chat between Pierre Lebrun and one Wayne Simmons Uh, A lot of people asking Wayne Simmons if he's going to sign or when will he sign with his hometown Toronto Maple Leafs. And of course he retorted to Mr. Pierre Lebrun with, uh, The thought has crossed my mind. Now Leaf fans are clamoring, but I have to wonder, are you going to get Wayne Simmons that will be effective in your top six, possibly? Or is Wayne Simmons more of the guy that we've seen for the past couple of seasons? A little banged up and a kind of shell of a former self. Now, I would love the Wayne Simmons that always used to snipe on the Maple Leafs, bring that little snarl and the tenacity. Um, I'm wondering, Kyle, without mentioning price tag right now, at face value, would you take a Wayne Simmons on this roster?
1: Uh, well, I mean, if you like you said, if you get Wayne Simmons uh, from three years ago, sure, I would love Wayne Simmons from three years ago. Um, I mean, even Wayne Simmons, just, just a healthy Wayne Simmons, you know. Uh, I would definitely uh, definitely welcome him into the Leafs lineup. But I did tweet this out um, when, when I seen the report. I mean, he brings that offensive little touch, but he, he brings you that, that grit. And, you know, it's uh, it's almost like a Kyle Clifford, but with a little more uh, offensive flair to it. And, uh, you know, I think that's definitely something the Leafs could work with. Um, can he be your, your, the old top six Wayne Simmons? That's it's in the air, but I mean if he can fit into your top nine and, 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 and contribute and, and bring that, 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 that grit to the to the to the lease lineup then um I, I think I think it would be a good deal if we get him for the right price.
0: Now a lot of people are saying, you know, you can't just add him and then subtract Clifford and say, well Wayne Simmons is your uh, be all end all on the snarl physical side of things and and dust your hands of it. Um, for me, I look at it like this: If he's coming in and wants a one-year, five-million-dollar deal like he did with the New Jersey Devils last year, I say no right off the bat. But if he comes in with a realistic expectation of wanting to rekindle or refine his career, a la Patrick Maroon or that ilk of player, um, you know, maybe for a one-year, one-point-five or one-year, one-mil deal, I would take Wayne-, Wayne Simmons on your in your bottom six. You know, if you bring back Spets at seven hundred fifty K again. You know, what's wrong with a line of, you know, Wayne Simmon, Jason Spezza, and toss in ex, you ex-young know, player on the other side, maybe a Korshakov or someone, and have that ride as your third or fourth line? I mean, that ain't too shabby. And you especially know if you get a healthy version of Wayne Simmons, he can contribute more. And if he's on that lower end of a contract, you know he's going to have that snarl in his belly to want to perform and do well to get one more big payday. So it may be a match made in heaven where he's had a kind of a down year. The cap is flat. The Leafs are looking for a player like him. It seems to check all the boxes. And like you said, if he's healthy maybe this might be where we go and maybe he takes his show me deal and goes and makes his money elsewhere after next year but i would like him to to be on the roster if he can perform and do well and if he's a million dollar contract and doesn't work out you can bury him the minors and not worry about the hit yeah and, uh,
1: and that's exactly it and, uh, and it's kind of like a jason speck's deal, you know come in show me be the veteran be the uh Be that, be that, be whatever role we need type of guy. And uh, like you said, and like we mentioned, as long as he he can stay healthy, I think he can contribute and uh, at the right price,
0: hell yeah, let's go. So the other thing that came across yesterday and in the past couple of days is another Leafs defenseman, obviously one who's signed, hasn't got to play with the Leafs as of yet, but that's Miko Lettinen. Um, Obviously there's a lot of hype going on around this guy. Uh, Everything he does is underneath a microscope over in the KHL right now. Um... You know, putting up the goals, putting up the assist. He's showing his fancy skating moves. They're calling it the Miko Lettinen show, and he's he's putting it on. And Leafs fans are getting excited. Kyle, do you get excited about a KHL player um, before they get here, or would you rather wait until he gets here to see the fanfare heaped upon him? Because right now, everybody's uh, clamoring for this guy, and I think it might set the expectations just a little too high.
1: Yeah, and I—I I mean, it's something you gotta be—you gotta be careful of when you got the uh, the KHL guys, or, or you're—I mean, like you can't—you can't, you can't deny European style of hockey is different than the NHL. And you can't—you can't contest that. So, um, I mean, it's hard to get a good grade on on what he's gonna be in the NHL. Um, but I mean, for the offensive side, it's great to see him putting pucks in the net and uh, being offensive and. I mean, he he's got size, so you know he can he can get in there and be and be a be a be a, be a big guy in the corner and, and throw his body around. So um, I mean, I, I don't go too crazy over the KHL stats. I mean, you can you can be liked out in the KHL, come to the NHL on the smaller ice right surface and tighter, faster game style, and uh, you know it, it's it's not all the same. So uh, I I will like I'd like to see him play, you know, with the Leafs and, and see what he can really do. But uh, definitely some positive positivity for the offensive side of his game.
0: No, definitely. I mean, it's not something the Leafs need, another puck-moving good defenseman, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to have them in your system, dangle his trade bait, whatever it may be. Um, It seems that Kyle Dubas threw a little cold water as well on the Freddie Anderson rumors, saying that he's not shopping him. They are listening. Um, Apparently, he did have a couple conversations with Anderson and let him know that they're not going to move him just for the sake of moving him. Um, You know, I, like I told you before, Felt like it was a a crappy way to treat a goaltender who's gotten you so far, and the way that it was being handled. I'm very glad, you know, Kyle Dubas with his hands-on nature, you know, reached out to Freddie, talked to him, smoothed it over, it seems. And you know what? I still am at the boat that Freddie will be here next year, and we'll see what happens. Rolling the dice, because. I don't see them going to get Matt Murray. Um, I just don't. And Robin Leonard looks like he's about to ink a longer-term deal with the Vegas Golden Knights as well. So that's another option off the table as we talked with, uh, you know, Frizz the other day, and that was one of his options. I'm thinking right now the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to stay pat with what they have in net and try to bolster their defense, and that's the way they're going to go.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, Dubas Dubis flat out said he's not going to move Anderson unless he gets an upgrade, and I, I mean... Matt Murray, you know we've we've chatted about him and what he can offer, but I I mean at the end of the day, um, I think I think we see Anderson back in net to start the year for for sure next year, and uh, you know possibly a trade deadline act deal or something like that he might be moved. But um, I mean if the are playing well and he's playing well, I I definitely see the Leafs riding him out and uh, giving him that opportunity. As far as the the rumors that uh, Dubis hadn't talked to Anderson, I. I, I don't know how much of that's true. I'm glad they, that it came out that they've had a chat and, and you know, Dubas has cleared the air, but um, I mean, I know Anderson's well-respected within the Maple Leaf organization, and uh, I'm sure Dubas and them had conversations with them to let them know what was going on. So, uh, But I, like I said, I, I, I don't see anything happening unless it's an upgrade, and there's not really an upgrade out there better than Anderson in, 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 in right now and what, what out in the market. So, um, I do think we see uh, Freddie back in net for the least next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, if somewhat Like I said the other day to Frizz, too, and you know, I've been beating this drum. You take any of those goaltenders that everybody's mentioning and you put them in front of the Leafs' defense. Do they have the same numbers as Freddie over the past few seasons? Or better? Or do they have worse? It all depends. Plus, you got to play in the media fishbowl that's known as Toronto. So, you know, throw all those factors in there and throw those goaltenders in there and see if they can handle not only the pressure but the noise as well. And it's one different beast. But... Uh, We're very lucky today there, Kyle. You know, on Wednesdays and Fridays, we usually get to have a pretty good guest on with us, and today is absolutely no exception. We're having a guy on who's been an NHL scout forever. Uh, He was the GM of the St. John Sea Dogs. He's none other than Daryl Young. He joins us today. Cannot wait to get him on. How about we bring him aboard, my buddy? All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are sitting down with a man who has covered and been a part of hockey for a very long time. Uh, he's been a former scout. He, he was the GM of the St. John Seadogs of the Quebec Major Junior League, and he is none other than Daryl Young. Daryl, how is the day treating you today?
2: Great. It's uh, beautiful and uh, warm here in, in uh, Quistances, New Brunswick.
0: There you go. Well, I'm sitting in Halifax, Nova Scotia, just down by the Harbour, so we're both in the Maritimes, enjoying the uh, Atlantic bubble. No,
2: well, it's been perfect for us, for sure.
0: <laughs> as long as they keep it that way. <laughs>
2: No, exactly. Well, I heard today that Ontario uh, close north borders as well, so I think they're learning from uh, Atlantic Canada, which I don't think those upper Canadians want to want to like a great, like uh, That's
0: the truth right there. Well, I mean, they put out that, um, I guess, report that Atlantic Canada, the Atlantic bubble, was one of the safest places to be in North America. So that's the tip of the cap to everything they're doing out here and keeping us safe and the case is low. Yeah,
2: no question. It's probably one of the safest places in the world to be. I mean, as soon as real estate sales, people want to move
0: here. That's right. Well, you know what, we'll, we'll keep it that way and we'll make sure that we keep it uh, safe and calm and maybe next year we'll have some visitors, but right now I'd rather keep it the way it is. Well,
2: nope, sounds good to me. Yeah.
0: Well, Daryl, I wanted to have you on. I was talking to Jamie Aniston and he said, hey, why don't you have Daryl Young on and obviously he listed off your accomplishments and everything you've done and I was blown away and I'm wondering for you, I, I, we'll take it way back to the beginning, what started the love of hockey, and what's kept you interested in, in hockey for this long?
2: Well, you know what, I was born in the 50s, I got pictures of myself with the family on lakes, uh, you know, when we were all young, playing hockey, and my dad loved the game. My mother actually knew nothing about the game, but uh, she fell in love with the game and uh, through my father, and my father was a guy that, uh, you know, wanted the best for his kids. and. You know, one of those guys that grew up in the 20s and the 30s that uh, he felt that there was an opportunity there and one of kids in what life, and he, he exposed us to hockey and helped us grow our love for
0: it. Well, you know, growing up and getting to have hockey and the love of the game is amazing. And I mean, you can probably attest to this. So many people get attached to the game, and it helps them through different points of life, too whether it be just playing or being a part of it or just being a part of the hockey community, it really brings out the best in people at times.
2: Well, oh, no more question. It, uh, hockey reflects a lot of life. You know, you deal with adversity, you learn discipline, you learn to set goals, you, you, know, you learn to be a good teammate, whether it's in the, in the office or the business office side of it or, or the hockey, hockey team side or any sport in general. And also, you uh, Learn about, uh, you know, honesty and and character that is revealed and all those things that uh, help you grow as a person and helps you later on in life.
0: So for you, I mean, we talk about your career. um, You know, what made you want to get into scouting and obviously ultimately into a GM role, but first we'll talk about the scouting bit. What, What got you into that? Was it just like liking the fact that you can find players and help develop them, bring them along, or what was it for you?
2: Well interesting is that uh, I'll go back uh, I, I, I'm more of a coach than a skill <laughs> yeah. so I I, you know, I started coaching when I was 12 years old and uh, worked with you know kids years younger than I was and in high school I was helping coach a team and when I was playing at the Howes University it, and that ended uh, I, actually when I was playing at Dell I worked for Peter Paget in the hockey schools at and when my career ended there at age 21 I was coaching triple play major and junior B and senior and, and I did my internship in sport management at uh, School Nova Scotia with Brian O'Byrne and uh, at, during that time the Year Canada Cup was in Halifax and I met a gentleman named Jack Ferguson who was head of the OHL Schooling and at that time uh, the the OHL did part of it and so I was coaching at the, uh, under- 17, 19 program, Rocky Canada, to Nova, Nova Scotia and Hobart- and Jack Ferguson hired me for the LHL. And a couple of years later, I'm coaching the House University in 85, and, you know, through my time in the LHL, I guys like Sam McMaster, the GM of, uh, of LA Kings. Before that, he worked for the Washington Capitol as the director of play, uh, recruitment. You know, and meet people on the way, and at Dale, and then Sam co- called me, and from our OHL days, and said, Washington's looking for a part-time scout, and the right times near interest. So I was coaching at for until '98. and He offered me a you know, part-time scouting job with, uh, with Washington, and I think eighty seven and I started from there.
0: So for you, when you when you started getting into scouting, I mean, we'll touch on housing in a sec because obviously I'm sitting not, you know, a kilometer away from them right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, going into scouting, when you look at players from that, from the start when you started scouting, basically up until now, what do you think is the, the biggest change in guys? And, and when you were looking for players... Did it change over the years for, like, players that teams were looking for or players that you were trying to bring in? I know that we've looked at the, you know, back in the day, it was more of the gritty kind of guy, you know, that could score and rumble and tumble, and then it got into more of the, you know, faster skating, more finesse, more better hands, you know, and less of the the grit and the growl. Um, for you, what did you notice over the time from players and then from what teams wanted out of players?
2: Well, I think the biggest difference is there's two big differences I, I would have to say. You know, like, you know, you always go hockey sense 30 years ago. Or you want the people, you want it to have 30 years ago. You want it skill. you want that to have 30 years ago as well. But the, the two biggest things that I have changed I are probably the, the, the speed of the game and the skating. Like, I worked with a guy named Brian Cook, who was a first-round pick from that six-foot-four defenseman, drafted by the from Boston and, you know, playing the NHL and so still the rec- most in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, you, you couldn't today. We were not even looking at it. You couldn't skate well enough to play today's game. So skating is, is, is the biggest probably change. And the second one is probably in the late 80s. If you looked at players, oh, well, they, they looked a lot more like linebacks you know, and today's players look a lot more like members in terms of long, lean bodies. Uh, so the body type has changed quite a bit. Well, the players, you know, rule um, you know, change, rule changes they put in. There was no clutching, there's no grabbing, there's all all those things are, still you know, gone. By the way, but yet one thing that hasn't changed is the fact that if you had a five foot nine guy and a six foot two guy with the same skill set, the same speed, you know, the same hockey sense, still going with the goal to the with to six.
0: Yeah, that's something that definitely hasn't changed, and it's something that a lot of teams are looking for. I mean, you look at the Tom Wilsons or the Patty Maroons and, you know, a little less, but Kyle Clifford, things like that, you know, and the the Chuck brothers and stuff. Those are players that are, you know, a rare breed now because a lot of guys want to be the the faster fleet of foot, you know, more fancy with the hands kind of guys and not the, the bread and butter going the corner. So when you get those players... You know, teams are more apt to hold on to him. I mean, look what Washington paid Tom Wilson at the time, and a lot of people raised their eyebrows. But now you look at Tom Wilson, you're like, well, that's a player you want in your lineup and need well, in your lineup.
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Out of the line, but you still, like, like, all guys will get you there, but big guys will stay,
0: you know. So for you, I mean, going through it and working with different teams, was there ever a team where you were like okay I'm going to go and we're going to look for these kind of players was there ever a team that came to you and said hey we need this type of guy or were you more apt to just be able to, to go and give them what the best you
2: see well every team was awesome uh, I, know, I know I know when Big Channel was the out uh, there uh, I know that after the third rally was the most strong off competitive kids and, you know, he wanted he wanted to uh, you know, stop those kind of guys. Um but when I worked for Tampa in uh, early two thousand, uh you know, he wanted what to do, he have a a this way dropped that guy. You was know, a huge factor at that time. Um I know that that time we're Philadelphia in the finals Four, 75. Four, they were big, they were strong, they, they were pretty good, they uh, played them in the front, they were a big strip, so, you know, so, so uh, the guys in, in, in uh, Vancouver, you know, the game started to change, because after the lockout in 2004, the game started to change, so the players, you know, what you're looking for has changed to, to a certain extent.
0: Well, and I gotta ask this question. You know, you're looking for players. Was there ever a player that you really drummed, you know, beat the drum for, and said, "Hey, we gotta get this guy. This is a guy. Like was it was a your guy that you wanted drafted." <laughs> well,
2: it was one that uh, I'll tell you. Ryan Miller, uh, the goalie. I was in Tampa, I was in uh, Nashville at the time. I went. I was went down to a game, uh, uh, to a game, and I was in Windsor. We drove down to watch him play in Detroit. Um, he was playing junior at the time before he went to Michigan State. It was his draft year. I went down with, uh, with uh, the GM of uh, Peter Dorian, it was GM of Ottawa now. Him, him and I drove down. You know, and Rod Miller got lit up halfway through the game, they pulled him. Um, but there's something about the guy I liked. I, I banged the drum for him. And then they, we said there. It's going in the watch and Watch out, we sent Rick Kaneko, maritime guy that ended up playing the national LA goalie. That uh, he went in, and he didn't like him. And Rick, uh Rick, then Mitch Korn, the goalie coach down in, in the Honors, was, was with uh, Buffalo and was with uh, Washington with Barry Trots and was with us in Nashville. He, he went down, so he didn't like him. And the next year, he's setting the record for shows the season at Michigan State and NCAA, but end up being a pretty good NHL player. I'd be there for us to take him but uh, to get any bad practice. and there's other times you beat the drop for a guy and you know he doesn't turn out. That's just the way it is in scoting. It's, the scouting is not really a you got to understand that the scoting no one really you can say is your guy to a certain point but the fact is that it's, it's scouting is still a team game. You, know, you need more than one person like a guy uh, and the other guys to push for them as well and Uh, You know, there's guys you like that other guys don't like, and end up being players, or or vice versa. But you got to be built on a team, and you got to know what the the organization wants it wants for players. You know what their their uh, their definition of players and and what they're looking for, and you go from there.
0: Well, you look at the Ryan Miller situation, and uh, after he set the the record for shutouts, and obviously went on to be, did anybody ever tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, you you might have had something there. Should have listened.
2: Well, guys talk about it all the time, you know, and you know, there's, there's guys we miss and, you know, there's guys we've we drafted in different organizations that uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't put my stamp on, but guys, other guys like them even though they're in my area, but you know, sometimes you get uh, you know, weighed and other times you push hard and guys take your word and they don't turn out, they don't turn out, but uh, it's, 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 a, it's a team, it's a, you know, it, that's, that's the thing that people don't realize, that you know the GM doesn't draft the player; it's a scouting staff that drafts a player, and it's a, it's a group effort, it's just not one guy. Right? And that, that's no different from uh, from team to team. It's a it's a group effort.
0: Well, working with and, and underneath different GMs throughout the years, do you have a favorite one and a favorite story with that GM?
2: Well, I think David Poyle. Um, You know, I worked with him for a very long time. Uh, I was with Washington uh, with him, and after 12 years, and um, he got relieved. And a couple months later, you know, later, he surfaced in uh, Nashville, and I left Washington to, to join him because he was always uh, very good to myself and my family um, and the people around him. If you look at the loyalty factor. You know, they're, they're, you know, Brian Murray was a coach for how long in, in Washington and. Uh, very atrocious, he took him from Nashville, where just in, he was a scout in, in Washington with us, became uh, American Hockey assistant coach, becomes American League head coach, wins on American League under David Poyle, and David Poyle brings him to Nashville uh, with him, and he had a long career there. I think the fact is that you know David knows all about loyalty and family.
0: Do you think that's something that goes into the success of the Nashville Predators year in and year out, just what he's built there, David Poyle? Like, I don't even mean just on the ice, I mean off the ice. Uh, there's a whole thing, you know, it's they, Smashville for a reason, just the way it's set up and built. I mean, the fans love it, the players seem to love it, and it seems to be such a community. I'm just wondering if you could speak to that for a second. Well,
2: I, you know, everybody talks about players, and, you know, lot of the reasons players have success is because they're consistent, and being consistent is a skill in itself. And the same thing applies to organizations as well, right? that, if there's consistency through an organization, from the top, your, your better chance your chance of success are even increased, and that's one of the things that the Nationals has been pretty consistent with the type of players they want, type of people they hire, type of people they they draft, type of people they you know trade for, and so forth. Consistency thing.
0: So I got to ask that on the flip side of that coin, you know, a team that we talk about a lot on this podcast is Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I'm wondering for you. Looking from the outside in for so many years, what do you think is is wrong in the Maple Leaf organization where they can't seem to? For a while, was not make the playoffs, but then it was. Now they can't get over the hump. I'm wondering. You you brought you know you've been around a lot of players, a lot of different character. You talked about that a few moments ago. What do you think it is for the Toronto Maple Leafs that needs to get over that hump?
2: Well, I think that you know, if, if, of all the places in the world, there's probably a couple of places you go where you don't want to. National Hockey League, and one of them is probably I don't because of the media pressure. Uh, you know, there's so much, so much media attention there. There's so much pressure, you, know, you can't enjoy the. You can't. Enjoy, I don't know how you enjoy the playing in that environment. You know, the, because you can't go for dinner. You can't take your family to a movie. You can't go for lunch anywhere. Is so that people know who you are, and I, I believe that the pressure from from the media sometimes maybe affect some of the decisions that are made in the past by the organization and I think it wears on players you know I, I believe it, it does and you want to say listen to the media you don't uh, watch TV you don't, you don't go on the internet but people do you know I think that's the biggest I think that's the biggest factor you know look at the, uh, Montreal is the same thing uh, Vancouver is, is, is like same way as Montreal and Toronto in terms of media attention you know, Pro Roberto Longo, and you know, we had that run in 2011 in Vancouver. You know, he he, he couldn't turn side players where well he can would be in that space. He had no personal time.
0: Yeah, and that would definitely wear and tear. I mean, especially on younger players, too, that are still trying to find their mental footing in the game you know, having cameras and lights on. And I think when Lou Lamorello was in town, I, he shied them all away from that and kind of, you know, I wouldn't say mother them, but just kept them safe and, you know, out of that expectation and out of the media fishbowl, so to speak. And now it's Kyle Dubas and it's not there the same way.
2: No, you know, uh, you know anybody who's been around Lou knows that, uh, you know, he's focused on one thing, that's the team. You know, he'll, he'll keep things very close to his chest. He doesn't want interaction on the outside world, you know. If there's a guy that can be perfect in the bubble, he's the guy, right? And then you know, he's the guy living in his own bubble, and only people have to that neither know will know.
0: Well, we spoke a, a few moments ago, you know, about the, being a team of scouts that draft the players. Now, when you were the GM for the Saint John Sea Dogs, I want to ask you, you know, the the hat's kind of different. You know, you're you're look, you're leaning on your scouts, you're bringing in different players. Um, for you, having the say as the GM, um, is it the same? You know, with the scouting, where you you know you you basically get to put the final stamp on a guy getting drafted by the organization or brought in via trade. I'm wondering for you, um, is the hat that much different? Well,
2: I, I think it's, it's a lot different than being a GM in a National Hockey League uh, because you don't have you don't have as much to deal with in the sense that uh, from a daily basis. You know, I, I still saw myself as a scout when I was a GM. And, you know, I, I travel a lot to the games and the, and the junior games, and then also evaluating the players within our system, and, you know, get the other teams for trades. I still kind of wore that hat probably, you know, more so than an NHL GM would do, would do, like stuff for David Poyle or Jim Bang to get out and see 1,500 games of junior hockey whereas for GM and major junior there shouldn't be any problem getting out to see, you know uh, 100 to 200 games of uh, midget or, or junior A or major junior games and um, I, I didn't feel I had to be around our team every day uh, every day I was in town I'd watch our team practice uh, every day I would talk to Danny Flynn on the phone once if not twice maybe sometimes three times uh, so we all, we, Danny Flynn and I had a great uh, line of communication both talked with the team the type of players we wanted and so forth. So I spent a lot of time scouting and we had some good scouts. You know, Jack Brackett was doing some consulting work for us and he became head scout in Vancouver now with um, Minnesota. He helped us out to a certain extent. You know, we had uh, Christian Devois, you know, former NHL Lucien Devois' son, who's now working for Ottawa. You know, we have Evo, who's now a director of player operations for uh, uh, for Moncton, was a 15 inch here in with Calgary. So we had, we had a lot of good people around us, that, uh and it just wasn't one person again. We had a good team of people.
0: Now, Daryl, I mean, for you, you look at the NHL now, and from what it was, from when you started, for you, what is the biggest stark change that you've seen, and not just the players, but the flow of the game? What is the the one thing you could say? Okay, that right there is the hugest change.
2: Well, I think the fact that you know the, the sort of speed of the game. Uh, the fact, again, there's no holding, there's no clutching, there's no grabbing. Um, but the way the puck moves, you know, uh, it's just almost like pinball. I, I don't see as, as much of the the flow of the game in terms of the old days where you had to, you know, tic tac toe and she goes. Now it's a one pass shot. Uh, I don't see that kind of, you know, I, think, I, I, I don't see that the Gretzky's or the Marcel Dion's or the or the the of flares with us. Well, they can take a puck and skate 20 feet with it. So you can, if you get the puck, it's on your stick. It's off your stick. If you take more than two strides, you're lucky to have the puck on your stick any longer. The speed, the story change the way the puck moves. You know, your your fourth line's not fires anymore. The guys got much skills. The guy in the second and third line almost. So you know, the those types of the game has changed. The goaltending is bigger. You know. Uh, if you look at the Canada Cup in '72, the average size is probably five foot nine. The average size of the team that wins the National Hockey League, Stanley Cup is probably six foot one. You look at goalies today. You know, how many goalies are below the National Hockey League? So they're bigger, they're faster, they're quicker. You know, and they're going to take more net and it's going to be to score.
0: No, it's uh, that is a hundred percent true, and yeah, well, I've only watched the game myself. I guess. You know, visibly remembering it since probably about ninety two, ninety three, until now. And I mean, I, I what's that? I'm a little older than you are. <laughs> well, I mean, even still, in in that time frame for me, I can still say that you know there has been yeah. noticeable change in the game and the way that it's played. And you know, we went through yeah. the, the the trap era and the defensive era, and you know, you went through the the nineties where it was crash bang, and you know, basically everybody was. It was it's slobber knockers. You look at Detroit, Colorado, those kind of things, and just everything that happened in those are kind of eras, but now you, you see where the game's going to. And I'm wondering for yeah. you, did you like the way the game is heading, or did you like the way the game was? Cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Loaded question. Loaded question. You know, I,
2: I, I'm a guy who plays football my whole life, you know, football, lacrosse, and hockey. I... I, I I like the physical part of it. I like the speed of the game today. You know, and I like to see a little more physicality to it. Um, I don't like the fact that there's a lot more stick work now, which I just said even more dangerous than just guys going at it. You know, and you know, all the rules have changed. There's A lot of guys become pretty brave, you know. You can see a guy go through a major junior career five years and not have a fight, you know. That's true. You know, but sometimes you're going to answer the bell and I, you see less than less of that accountability. You can get away with a lot more um, in a game today than you could years ago. You know, if you gave a guy a gonna you're going to answer the bell today. You know, he might get a slash back and draw grow, grow a penalty, but, uh, you know, you don't have to answer the bell as much as he's used to in the past. You know?
0: Well, you that, know, that's one thing that point. I miss. I mean, I, I miss the way that, players used to get to the police themselves you know sometimes yeah. the ref wouldn't see it or something would happen and you'd have two or three guys on your roster that would be able to go muck it up if you need them to and you know and yeah. that held a lot of guys in check I mean as Brian Burke used to call them it used to keep the rats at bay so
2: well I know you know one of, one of the things we did in St. John was uh, really well we got guys like Thomas Shabbat Matthew Joseph Matthew Highmore and Spencer Smallman we, we had a lot of skilled guys on our team and look at our defense, you know, we got, you know, Jekyll Sapporo was a first-round pick, Green uh, um, was a first, uh, third-round pick in the National High League on defense, and we are had a skill, guys. We went out and got Bokonji and Mama, you know, from Bay Kamal just because we knew that these guys needed space, at, uh, and Bokonji was probably the toughest guy in, in the Quebec League, you know, from 2014 to 2017. It wasn't a guy tougher, and... You know, we saw that with Joe Plano and what happened in Halifax, that uh, he took care of his guys, even though he got 15 games of suspension. But the fact is that, uh, you know, when you have skill, you, get, you have to protect them somehow, and that's what we did with Bakaji.
0: No, and you know, like I just said, that that's something that's missing now. I think a lot of – there are a lot of liberties that are taken and a lot of things that go on, and, you know, I don't mean to always target him on the show, but I look at Brad Marsh and, you know, some of his antics – I mean, yeah. if, if he didn't have the giraffe and Zdeno Chara always behind him, you know, the shadow of Chara, you know, I don't think he'd do half the things that he does. And if it was back in the day, I don't think he'd get away with half of the things that he does. But nowadays it's a it's a different breed of game and there's not a guy always on the team, on the opposing team, that can go and, you know, solve that issue, so to speak. So I miss that aspect. I like the speed, like you said, and I like the skill. But I, I miss the bump in the grind a little bit, too.
2: Well, I'm a, yeah, and I'm a big Brad Marchand fan. And if you know it, Brad as a person, you know, you know he's a character kid. Uh, I know he did some things when he was younger that we questioned, even though it, it affected our, our our decision when draft time came and and uh, the national hockey league. But he always you know, matured over time. And you know, being with Round the Towers and the, the Patrick Bergeron, and you know, and and Brad's a good team player. He realized that. Uh, he wants to be inside that circle, not outside that circle, and, you know, he plays as hard as he ever did, but he doesn't think through the things that he did in the past in terms of, you know, uh, just crossing that line. He, he plays within the, within the line, and he plays hard, and that's why he's become the player he has in the National High because he had good people around him, and good people usually draw good people in, and he's a good player and a good person, and make you see that with his play today.
0: You know, a player that kind of uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Brad Marchand, a little younger, but is Nazem Kadri, another player who has had to learn from his pitfalls and mistakes, but seems to be coming into his own now, this year in Colorado especially. So, I mean, you know, those players, again, we talked about earlier, are ones that you want on your roster, and definitely I think Kadri wants to be in on that inner circle in Colorado instead of the outside so yeah you, you look at Marsha and you could definitely point to things he did when he's younger but you're right his game has matured and, and he, he learned how to to be that that greasy kind of player at times but do yeah. it within the rules so you get under the skin yeah. of your opponent but it's not breaking any rules
2: yeah but also too I guarantee you that he's escaping the, the media attention and the, the fan attention from Toronto and be the player be himself you yeah. know and, and be a player you can, 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 always wanted to be and doesn't have that constant uh, people, somebody looking over your shoulder and people questioning you, people constantly, you know, having your photographs. And, you can live life, you can breathe a little, little easier, put it that way, right?
0: No, that's, that's the truth. Well, Daryl, you've seen a lot in your, your NHL, your scouting career, obviously, even with the Q and then with Dalhousie. Um, I got to ask this question before I let you go today. You have ties yeah. with Washington. Do you see Mr. Alex Ovechkin breaking Wayne Gretzky's goal record?
2: <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a huge Wayne fan. I know, on, you know what he's done for the game, and you know the ambassadors he's been for uh, for the game. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me to he did. But I think it's it's going to be a difficult pace to keep up, just because of the the grind and the speed of the game. As you get older, you lose a step or two, and it's a little tougher as you, as you get older, and you know I, I think it's a challenge for him. Um, if he breaks it, I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, I see Wayne having that record for a long
0: time. You know what? I, I agree with you. I think Ovi will get close, and it, it won't be like Kobe when the last game that he played, where they let him, you know, rack up his big point total. I don't think a team's going to let him score fifteen to twenty goals in the net just to blow past Gretzky. So I think that one will yep. stay intact. And the last one I want to ask you, we've, we've got four teams left. We have the Islanders, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars um, being around the NHL and around teams. What team do you think has the makeup right now to uh, capture Lord Stanley's mug in the bubble? Uh,
2: you know what, that's a very difficult one. You know, I'm a big Trossie uh, fan. I've been friends since the our days in uh, Washington back in the late 80s. And i like to see him win another cup uh, there Plus. One of our clients right now is Noah Dobson, and I know he's not playing much, but he's still of that experience. I'd like to see him get an opportunity to win it. Um, Tampa Bay, you know, I won a cup to Tampa Bay in 2004, so I got a little bit of love for them. And um, you know, and then we, went, then we got Dallas with a Rick Bonus, who's a Maritime guy. That uh, you know, Rick used to pick me up in the uh, in the mid 70s to go play pickup hockey at Saint Mary's University with all the you no know, social when I was a high school uh, player, and you know he was playing uh, major junior in uh, Quebec, and then, and I played in the American League, and you know, I like to see him do well. So it's uh, one of those things like geez, I got connections everywhere on those teams, right? <laughs> you know, and people, people like to see win, right? So I know I, I, I mean Vegas got it, got it, got it, you know, and Rich got that team playing well in Dallas, and you know last night's a two-one game, a you know, couple last couple seconds. Now Tampa Bay's got a couple of guys banged up. You know, I, I guess I would say uh, just because of uh, our friendships, like to see uh, you know Dallas uh, because Rick, and uh, and then Dallas because of Trotts and uh, and uh, and Noah Dobson, and you know one of those two teams get in the finals, and I'll be happy guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta I gotta ask. I mean, I know it's that last question, but Rick bonus with the, the Dallas Stars. Do you not see them taking that intern tag off and making him the full time head coach?
2: Yeah, I, I think that the, the fact that they won that game seven and you know coming back and went in the last couple of minutes tied tied up in the last couple of minutes and went in overtime and you know the way they turned that team around after the, the, you know he stepped in there, I can I see him being you know a job for him. Um, you know, basically, I can take it away from him. Again, Jim Neal is the guy. Again, about loyalty and consistency. He comes from the Detroit, where they have that loyalty and consistency factor. You know, from Ken Holland, for about you know 30 years there, and Jim Neal comes from that organization. And I think a lot of those uh, attributes he brings with him in, in Dallas. And I think he'll he rewards the loyalty and, and he respects the, uh, the knowledge and the, the coaching ability of Rick Bonus.
0: Well, I really hope he does stick. I think he's really earned it. Um, Daryl, I want to thank you very much for taking the time and sitting down with us. I do want to have you back on hopefully by the end of the year again and talk a little bit more stories about Dalhousie and, of course, your cup win with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. But I want to thank you very much again for stopping by. Well, thank you. Have So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Daryl Young, former NHL scout, general manager of the St. John Sea Dogs, and also all-around great guy in hockey, as you can hear. He has ties to everybody in the game. So it's great to sit down with him, catch up, and have some fun stories. All right, guys, that's Offside for today, and we will figure out these technical issues that kept Kyle from being on this call. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.